0: Aliens and flying saucers This is all an illusion Hey, welcome to the 105th episode of Two Writers and Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, and the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers. The music you're listening to is Croissants from the great MC White Al. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from sports writing to screenwriting to music critiquing to self-help to song lyrics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today's guest is a fantastic Lindsey Gibbs, the Think Progress sports reporter who also covers the Washington Mystics for The Athletic. And what we're delving into specifically is the WNBA and women reporters and whether outlets have an obligation to cover the league and whether in 2019 women writers are finally being given ample opportunities. We're also going to talk a little Muffet McGraw, a little Becky Hammond, a little Start Your Own Tennis website magic. It's all right now on Two Writers, Singing the Hang. All right, Lindsay, first of all, I want to uh, I want to congratulate you because you and I have just set a record. This is a uh, well over 100 well well over 100 episodes of this podcast and I'd say the 25 minutes we just spent trying to get connected is a new record. So uh Mazel Tov to you.
1: I always bring really good technology luck with me wherever I go. So <laughs> good. I'm, I'm honored. I'm nothing if not consistent,
0: yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, very nice. Very nice. You know, so I want to start in, a, uh, in an interesting place, which is a couple of weeks ago when The Athletic announced that uh, it would be covering the WNBA and that it had beat writers for every team in the WNBA, there were a bunch of Twitter exchanges going on about sort of what it all meant Every writer covering a WNBA team is a woman, and they seem, you know, committed to at least covering the league. And a writer, a a longtime female sports writer, who I have a lot of respect for, sort of put it out there. You know, I I think the question is, are women being given real shots at real sports writing jobs um, across all spectrums of sports, or is this sort of another example of a site saying, "Oh, we can just we can say we got all these women and we'll just shove them over here." But if anything, if the MLB or NFL ever comes out, you know, you know, the, I, I just think there's throughout my history as a sports writer, I feel like women sports writers have often been very marginalized. And while we need someone to cover the UConn women's game, we'll send a woman. But we're not going to give her the Super Bowl. This is my long rambling way of saying, are we moving in the right direction here?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's multiple conversations to have around this, right? Like there's you know, should women only cover women's sports? There's the um, conversation about uh, where women's sports ranks in the p- hierarchy, right? The the priority hierarchy for both editors and reporters alike. And there's, you know, kind of the specific conversation we're having about The Athletic, which is, is this okay that they did this this way? Which is, you know, to, to very... Uh, clearly and purposely hire, you know, 12 women to hi- to cover the teams, the 12 WNBA teams, um, when, as they're investing in the WNBA reporting, the way I look at it is, this should in no way excuse the athletic from hiring women, especially women of color throughout their organization, right? But it's not inherently a bad thing that they did it this way. Now, obviously, I'm, look, I'm I'm one of the women on I'm their Washington Mystics reporter. I've been working with the guys at Athletic DC since they launched last fall. Um, I cover women women's basketball is what I choose to cover as a freelancer. It's what I prioritize um, it, when I'm doing my freelance work. I also have a full time. Uh, job as a reporter um, with my employer think progress where I I don't um, where I cover the intersection of sports and politics. So for me, I don't see it as being tokenized at all because this is what I'm doing. This is what I have chosen to prioritize outside of my quote unquote day job, if you can ever call reporting a day job. And uh, I had a relationship with these with David Aldridge and Greg Lee, the editors at Athletic BC going, they contacted me, you know, when they first launched. So, and most of, a lot of these women who were hired have been covering their WNBA teams for so long. And this is going to be a really important opportunity for them because the Athletic has done such a good job of uh, establishing some clout within the industry. You know, people respect it and agents respect it and PR people respect it. And that's going to help Uh, you know, these women automatically get a boost of credibility. So in my mind, there's nothing at all bad about that. I think that what the conversation should be is this shouldn't in any way excuse, like I said, at the beginning, the athletic from continuing to push to hire more diversely within the rest of its ranks. And not just the athletic, but all sports media organizations.
0: It, it was a really interesting conversation. As I often do, I kind of commented clumsily on it on Twitter and a lot of younger uh, women reporters sort of lashed out at me a little bit. And then I started getting a lot of DMs from veteran women who have been in the business for whatever 15, 20, 25 years almost saying I some of these women seem to lack the historical perspective of how women have been treated and re- treated in reporting. That Really, you know, a lot of times, outlets have intentionally said, all right, we'll put you over there, and that way we can check off in the box, just like they've done too often with African American writers. We can check off in the box, okay, we got one, we got one, we got one, and we're good, and then we can, you know, we're not gonna get any heat from anyone. I guess I just worry whether sports journalism as an industry has taken enough steps to be diverse just because you want really good writers and not just to check off a box. And I wonder, do you? I mean, do you feel like overall the industry is progressing in a way that makes you happy?
1: No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. And that's why, like, I think this is a much larger conversation. I think, though, why people got de- defensive on social media is because, uh, you know, this is a thing that people with—I know people behind the scenes. I'm not going to any, name any names, and I don't know specifics about the fight by any means. Um, you know have been fighting and pushing to get the athletic to expand its coverage for so long and for so many like I said for so many of these women this is a big opportunity and there's a mix of people who have experience levels you know uh, where I am or even more experience and there are younger reporters as well who this will be a big thing for their career and I think that people took the questioning personally because it seemed like let's just have one day to like celebrate this before before. before we start, right? Like making this part of, you know, progress is, is, you know, if you're going for perfection, then you're never going to be able to appreciate any levels of progress. And the truth is, even though these aren't full-time positions, which I think is important to point out, you know, they are not hiring reporters full-time, um, for this. And, um, you know, these are part-time freelance positions for everyone. And, uh, that's on these beats, but you know, it still is. I mean, ESPN doesn't have a, re- a reporter in every WNBA market, right. right? They're not even paying anyone on freelance basis in any WNBA market. Right. No other outlet is doing this. So it sucks to me that, that I mean, that's very, <laughs> what an eloquent way to say that, but I don't really know. <laughs> like like it sucks that this is a big deal because it's not that big of a step, but at the same time, it still is like undoubtedly, a big deal. And so I think that there's, it's frustrating, right? Because you want to automatically move to this place where um, things aren't, you know, things are perfect, that everything seems completely uh, genuine, and everybody is doing all the right things for all the right reasons. Um, But none of that's going to happen overnight. And I'm not talking just about the athletic here. I don't want anyone to read into what I'm saying. I'm talking about, you know—all across sports media. Um, so, yeah, but I also think that it doesn't help women's sports if we continue to act like that is a negative, you know, that is a pity opportunity either, you know? Like, yeah. that doesn't help help um, pushing that forward either. So, look, it's complicated, and I get why people uh, wanted to use that moment to have a larger conversation. And I also understood why people want to be like, OK, but we've worked really hard to just get here. Like, can we have a moment where we're not, you know, where we are saying, yes, this is a big step. Let's all support this. Because the truth is, I mean, not just for the athletic, but for everyone, like if people are not supporting it because it's not perfect, right, then nobody is going to keep doing stuff like this. You know, mm-hmm. no, no, nobody is going to keep, you know, if there are a bunch of WNBA fans who are saying, OK, but these are poor aren't full time, so I'm not going to subscribe because I don't feel like this is an honest, you know, a real opportunity, a real thing, then the, the athletic is gonna be like, well, we didn't get any subscriptions, you know, for right, our right. WNBA coverage. So maybe that's not worth investing in because it's a business at the end of the day. So I think that's what kind of concerned me. And wanted, I wanted to make sure like uh, the conversation was uh, was staying, you know, this is a this is a big step. This is a good step. It's just a step. We are there. We have a lot of ladder left to go.
0: Wait, I'm actually fascinated by something you just said. So um, I've actually been a, a women's basketball fan for a long time. And I I was, you know, when I was at Sports Illustrated, I was always pitching stories back when the WNBA started and it was the, uh, the ABL, I believe it was mm-hmm. the started yes. and you had these two leagues. And yet I was a huge Cherie Sam fan, a Cynthia Cooper fan. I loved women's basketball, um, professional women's basketball. I wonder, so here we are, it's 2019. And I was looking at the WNBA coverage on The Athletic. And, and I used to write for The Athletic. And The Athletic is a very, 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 clicks oriented business model mm-hmm. we need sub you know we need subs off of the stories and blah 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 and the WNBA stories do not have a ton of comments on them two yeah. three five seven and I wonder does the athletic owe it to the WNBA to women's sports to give it a chance or does the WNBA have to be popular enough and generate enough to warrant the coverage?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think you can make any decisions after just a few months. Right. right? right, Like it takes time. And that's but that's one of the problems, because we live in a very like, you know, instant. You know, we want to see this instant um, these instant clicks. And look, I live I have a clicks generated job as well. Like I understand. And, And so I think that, you know, it's going to take. It's gonna take time to build and you know it's gonna take time for people to think of the athletic as a place to go. And I mean, we're you're saying like they don't have a lot of comments, and I I agree they don't have many comments as I would like. We're a week into the season, literally, you know, one week into the season and you know, two weeks into the athletic launching this. So um, yeah, I mean, first of all, you can't go into it with the expectations that it's going to. Um, you know, you know, you have to go into the expectations that it's going to build, see it. But I think what's really important to me is that people don't see it as charity, but they see it as an investment, right? If we invest in providing coverage the way that nobody else is, if we invest in finding amazing stories that nobody else is telling, do we think that that investment is going to get us subscribers that can't literally can't get this stuff anywhere else? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how you have to view it, but it's going to take investment. And that, look, as with all things, women's sports, both on the, you know, um, funding side and on the coverage side, uh, sometimes that, you know, that invests that takes a long term strategy and a patience that, you know, isn't easily uh, rewarded in today's um, kind of climate. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I, I, I get nervous anytime anyone is. Um, invest in anything women's sports because I know that the stakes are so much higher, right? For it to succeed because people are looking for excuses. And once again, I am not singling out the athletic here, (laughs) you know, but you know, in general places are looking for, you know, they, they don't understand it and they're looking for kind of ways to, instead of develop long-term excuses to get out of it, excuses to say, we tried that it didn't work. So we're going to take a step back. And Look, right now we're seeing. I mean, it's not just the athletic. You know, we've seen uh, Sports Illustrated right now has a WNBA producer. Uh, SB Nation has uh, is devoting a lot more resources to resources to WNBA coverage. Uh, Slam Online is and Slam Magazine uh, has somebody doing you know focus on WNBA content right now. Uh, Bleacher Report and House of Highlights just launched a, a vertical on their Instagram focused on women's sports. So it's not just the athletic. The hope is that this is part of a bigger movement and that people across the industry are seeing this as a chance. During the summer, let's face it, it can be a dead dead zone time for sports, right? Right. WNBA can provide you some great content. Um, And, you know, on social media, I mean, these are personalities. These are sports. These are viral clips like that can really get big. And I think you're starting to see places, um, you know, invest in this. My, my hope is, though, that they don't get – that they understand that it takes a w- while to build.
0: I have a, uh, here's my complaint about the WNBA. I feel like in uh, in your hometown superstar there, Elena Deladon, mm-hmm. I feel like they have a transcendent player, one of the top five players talent-wise in the history of the league. She's in a major market. She's personable. She has an amazing backstory. I feel like that league does a mediocre job of marketing some of their players. Yeah. Am I wrong on that? Am I I missing something?
1: The WNBA itself, I think, you know, has a long way to go. I'm seeing some positive steps. I really like the marketing campaign they um, um, launched at the start of this year called Make Way. And um, I thought it was really creative and clever and had a lot of um, it it was interesting to me. It wasn't um, smaltzy or charity driven or anything like that. I really liked it. Uh, But no, I mean, look, I think there are tons of criticisms that are valid for the WNBA as a whole, as a league. And I mean, let's face it, this goes up to the NBA and the amount of investment they're willing to put into into this. And um, as it's tough because the obviously nobody is. Saying otherwise, the WNBA would not be here without the NBA. And, uh, you know, the NBA has sustained the league for so many years. But every time you get a microphone in Adam Silver's face and ask him about the WNBA, he reminds you that, oh, the league's losing $12 million a year. We don't know why it's not catching on. Well, he doesn't realize that that's going to be the only thing so many people hear about the WNBA right. all year, right? <laughs> He's going to make headlines. And so, what it does is it just perpetuates a cycle. And also, what nobody talks about is what is $12 million to the NBA? Not that much, right? <laughs> like, are you really sitting here, you know, whining about this? So, I think, like, you know, it goes all the way up to the top and to the NBA. And I think that there's a lot of questions to be asked about. Um, both how the WNBA markets itself and the amount of support they get from the NBA.
0: Is it possible that the WNBA just isn't a moneymaker, will never be a moneymaker and such his life?
1: Sure, anything's possible. I just fundamentally don't believe that it's true. I mean, I've been to enough games, I've been to enough um, places around the world where or places around the country, where owners are really invested in in carrying this. And you see 9,000, you know, diehard screaming fans who are paying tickets, you know, you see in smaller markets, uh, or you know, you see on these television shows, uh, you know, Hundreds of thousands of people tuning into local markets to watch this when it's promoted correctly. And that, I mean, I don't mean nationally that those yep. numbers are good, but you know, in smaller markets. And, you know, I mean, UConn women's basketball kind of carries some local sports networks up there, right? Yep. And, in um, you know the Lynx in Minnesota have done a phenomenal job, you know, with promoting, and a lot of that is, you know, the owner, you know, said we're going to treat you like professionals, like the Timberwolves, and we're going to invest in you. And guess what? They were been, they've been a winning team for so long, and Minnesota really liked that because <laughs> the Timberwolves certainly aren't right. So all of a sudden, you're getting all the support from you know your. Your local team. So I in, in Vegas, the team there is already off to a really great start. There's so much buzz and excitement about the team. So I just like I understand what people are saying. And look, there are certainly some teams and certainly some markets that I think um, are concerning. Atlanta is a big one. Um, you know that team cannot seem to break through in Atlanta and draw in a crowd, and it's it's very frustrating. They made it to the semifinals last year, and you you kind of think like you know, it it feels like banging your head against the wall. But I don't, you know, I think you have to look at that in a more individual um, way. I just honestly don't believe it. I think when we've seen true investment and true long-term planning in women's sports, we see it, like, pay off. And uh, pay off in really important ways. Just you have to adjust your expectations a little bit. It's not gonna be the NBA overnight. And um you have to realize that women's sports aren't just, you know, they're they're not it's easy to compare them to like where the NBA is at that time and think, oh, they're actually not doing pretty that bad if you look at them compared to like where the NBA was, you know, twenty three years into existence. But then you think they've done all that despite the fact that women's sports are only getting like four percent of the coverage or whatever it is, on Sports Center. and you think, God, what could they be doing if they were getting? 14 percent of the coverage, you're not even 5050 like uh, j- just pumping it up a bit and so I, I do think that um, that there's much more of a market out there for this than has been has been realized because of you know preconceived biases that have really fed into you know all the decision making.
0: Well, it's a really interesting question. I mean it's a fascinating question yeah. Like um, you're a producer at ESPN or you're whoever at ESPN. You know the NBA is drawing viewers. You know the NFL is drawing viewers. You don't really feel like WNBA coverage is going to get you numbers. But the WNBA is a great product. It has these superstars. It has these great players. I kind of, I feel like you owe it. I just think like we've gotten to a point. When I used to be at Sports Illustrated, this is what I always say. When I was at Sports Illustrated in the 90s, they would assign you stories because they were good stories. And that was it. That was the reason, because it is a good story. And I think we have changed very much in media coverage where we're just running where the money is. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating.
1: Well, and think I always say, like, I think part of the WNBA story is. Excuse me. um, I think part of the WNBA story is when it came, you have to think of when it launched, you know, in 98 compared to the kind of journey of of sports media, which was going online. I mean, when it first launched, local papers were still doing pretty good and they had pretty robust, robust sports departments. So it was yeah, there's a pro league in our town. We're going to send a sports. We're going to have enough staff to send someone there to do local coverage. But then things start moving online and everything starts moving online. Sports departments start to decrease and, you know, get smaller as funding gets smaller. And all of a sudden you have this situation where uh, you only, the only thing that matters is clicks. Of course, the much more well-established NBA, NFL, you know, men's college basketball teams are going to be the ones that are getting clicks. So they're what's prioritized and you have you know, your, you know, two person sports staff doesn't have a chance to get to all these WNBA games, especially when they know their editor is completely, you know, um, judging them based off of clicks. And, you know, nobody, everyone stops prioritizing. And I always wonder if, you know, the WNBA had come in when there was still a robust local sports media scene, uh, could that have really helped things, you know, move along?
0: Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my daughter, Casey. And today, I picked up a prescription from CVS. What was that, acne cream? HGH. Human growth hormone.
1: Yeah. If I want to play water polo at UCLA, I got to bulk up.
0: I just bought you performance-enhancing drugs?
1: I mean... Didn't you buy my brother a bunch of cool football jerseys from 503 Sports?
0: I did. They're the kings of throwback jerseys.
1: Well, you think no one in the USFL was juicing? I know, but... No, Dad. That's crap. If you're allowed to write about people who shoot up drugs to up their 40 times, why can't I shoot up drugs to get you out of paying half a mil for my college education?
0: I guess that's a good point.
1: Now go to 503-sports.com and find me a Lyle Alzado jersey. That guy was my hero.
0: Here's a random one for you, which I didn't know about you until I was reading about you yesterday. So you started something called the Changeover. Your yeah. your own tennis website. What year was this when you started it?
1: Oh my God. Um maybe twenty eleven or twenty twelve? that 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 might be I'm I'm honestly gonna have to look it up. That's uh, all right. But you yeah.
0: started you started a tennis website. You were seek I'm looking I'm literally staring at your website, which is is no longer active, but you um you sought donations, sort of funding, which a lot of sites do now. Yeah. You, were wet, you were you know, very early on sort of what became a thing, which is starting a sports website, generating content, uh, having reader, uh, making it reader-funded. Um, and I'm always encouraging people to do this, to come up with ideas. I talk to my students all the time, just start your own site, blah, 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 who knows where it can go. Um, what was the inspiration and what are the complications?
1: Yeah, so a little bit about me is I did not ever set off, off set forward uh, to be a sports reporter by any stretch of the imagination. I went to film school at NYU right. and I graduated in 2008, which is not a year I would recommend anyone to be entering the uh, labor market, especially not with a film degree. And I ended up, you know, doing what a lot of people of my kind of lost generation did, which was, you know, spend a few years, um, you know, I was nannying, I did a lot of production assistant work on reality television. America's Next Top Model, right? I was, yes. Good. You do do your research. That's good. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so I, you know, I did a little bit of everything and I always loved sports, but I've always especially loved tennis. And. During these days where I didn't have much direction in my life, I kind of connected with uh, the 24-7 nature of following tennis and with a lot of people online who were commenting on matches and blogging on matches. And that's kind of how I got started as a sports writer, um, because... I started being able to go to tournaments because I would write for friends' blogs. And I would, you know, this was just for free. It was, you know, they weren't making any money off of these blogs. But I would start going to these tournaments that I could, you know, send myself to and writing. And I tweeted about it a lot. Originally, my Twitter account was literally just tennis tweets. And, you know, I, I started realizing somewhere along the line that, A, I was pretty good at this, and I that this this felt right, and B that there could be people who would pay me to do this. Um, so you know, we started the changeover. I started out with two other people I'd met through the the kind of online tennis community. When we saw like a really big, we saw just like there was room for like tennis writing that wasn't being done anywhere. We wanted to do some in-depth tennis writing. We want to do analysis. We want to do all the fun social media stuff. And I mean, we spent so much time and for no money at all, you know, and this was, you know, I was in my uh, early to mid twenties, you know, we, you know, we spent, I mean, I I can't, I think back to how long our Skype calls were and how seriously we took it. Uh, And it's, it's remarkable, but we, I mean, it was really great because it really allowed me to establish a platform for myself and to establish a voice for myself, doing it with other people. So we were responsible for one another. And through things like that, I got well known. I mean, pretty soon, pretty early on, we were being linked to by, you know, the Grantlands and ESPN and New York Times and, you know, some, some big, big people were following us and and paying attention. And, you know, from there I started writing for like Sports on Earth a lot Uh about tennis and eventually Bleacher Report. I started working as a columnist for them and about tennis and then both Sports on Earth and Bleacher Report kind of kept me employed for a while because uh, once I established relationships with those editors, you know, they would ask me to write on lots of different topics. But that's how I got in and it was great. I always tell people, Don't write for free for people who are making a lot of money. Like, that's wrong, (laughs) you know, and you are helping prop up a system that, you know, exploits people. Write for free for yourself, for your friends, on your own, you know, things, and find holes that the rest of the media isn't doing, right? Like, there's probably enough breakdown of the Warriors, um, you know, uh, game, and unless you think you have a really, really unique angle then that's a waste of time, I think. But if you can see an opening in sports media or in whatever media you wanna join, go for it. Start, Start doing it yourself because if it's quality, it's so easy to connect with people on social media and it's so easy. They're like, Oh, we need this analysis. Like we, we could use this. This helps fill kind of a gap in the conversation.
0: Wait, Lindsay, I just want to say, I um, So I teach, uh, I'm an adjunct out here at a small college and I always, oh, tell, awesome. I always tell my students, I'm like the world does not need another Yankee blog, but the world would be, it would, if you could start a blog on Jewish left-handed relievers Right. You will get attention. Like you will actually get reads. If you can start a blog on uh, the history of women kickers, if you could start a blog, like you will actually like find the little and make it big because too many people just find the Yankees or the Warriors. I'm going to write about Steph Curry. It's like we don't need another Steph Curry story, Mm -mm. you know. Yeah, I love that. I agree with you. 1, yeah, I'm
1: that's exactly. That's the advice I always give people. And tennis ended up being my entryway into this. You know, I remember reading Sports on Earth and they had all these amazing writers. This is when they first launched. You know, they had all these amazing writers. And I was like, wait, I don't think they have anything on the US Open. <laughs> you right. know, this is a big event. Like, I live in New York. I could get to Qualies. Maybe they'll take, you know, a Qualies piece um, if they don't have anything else. And lo and behold, because I had all this tennis writing expertise, you know, that was my way in, you know, because it was something I saw that they weren't doing that I thought people would be interested in. And that's the only way you're going to uh, differentiate yourself.
0: Were you sad to stop your website? Well, I know it's still up, but to stop. Was there a moment where you're like, OK, I need to move on next step, not doing the same work?
1: Yeah, I pretty much stopped right when I was doing it much um much more infrequently as my freelance kind of career started to take off but it was when I got my full-time job at Think Progress in the I believe I started the end of August in 2015 and for me that was when like there was just kind of no way um you know I was so uh, just you know I'd moved to a new city for the first time in my life I mean I you know I I always have, you know, 21 year olds and 20 year olds calling me and I'm like, I didn't get my first full time writing job until I was 29 years right. old. Wrong so, person to ask.
0: Wrong person to ask.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're way ahead of me. Um, but you know, but that's, so, you know, it, it was a completely different life that I was, I was starting and it, you know, it took a while for me to adjust to that and, you know, now I, I, of course I freelance as well and do more writing on the side now, but it just wasn't really feasible. And it is, I mean, I think back to that time, like it was really fun. Like it was, you know, it was purely passion driven, but, I don't think I, you know, there's no way I would really want to go back to writing that much for free or to the way I was living then. I wasn't in a great, in a great space and, you know, uh, resources were incredibly thin. So I, I don't want to glamorize that time in my life by any means, but I'm really proud of what we did and I certainly wouldn't be here without it.
0: Also, don't you think, I always say this, like, um, it's like you look back and you're, you're the struggling writer and you're you know, you're know trying to figure out what you want to do in life. And I don't know. Who the hell knows? You're eating refried beans out of a can and you're, you're living in a shit hall. But don't you kind of find like those things in hindsight, like the value of the shitty times make the good times much more... I mean, it sounds cliche and corny, but it kind of no. does make it... The 80% of shit makes it 20% of good. That's what makes it good.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... I... <laughs> You know my student loans and everything make me, uh, you know, are, are going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And you know, I, I, I will, I know because of the, you know, graduating when I did and kind of getting caught in the economic hole that I did. That, you know, I'm going to be behind people a lot younger than me for a very long time as far as like building, you know, uh, resources for myself. But I, I am so proud of kind of getting through that time and of finding a way out of it. And it. you know, I'm so the perspective it gives me and look, the appreciation I have right now for having a full-time job, (laughs) like, and for having my health insurance paid and for having people want to talk to me about my writing. Like, you know, I have tons of coworkers who are 23, 24 and you know, they're so close to being where I am in their career. And it's, it's amazing. I'm not saying they haven't suffered or they haven't gone through anything, but I don't think they'll ever have the perspective that I have after you know uh spending my you know like nap time of the kids i was nanny you know writing for free on a tennis website never knowing if anyone in the world was going to going to read it or care
0: right 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 so i'm looking at uh i'm looking at think progress and uh obviously you know great site and the uh, you know you go to the homepage and it gives you offerings of video climate progress world politics healthcare muller report yeah. not not much sports going on at think progress like how how does one even become the sports writer at Think Progress?
1: Yeah, well, I have to think I'll, I'll always have Travis Waldron to think. So he was a reporter here before me, and along with the editor in chief of the Time, Judd Legum, um, they kind of, you know, I think they saw that there was a space for uh, looking at sports news through a progressive lens. And Um, the two of them, along with, you know, some of my other, uh, former colleagues kind of built that space and, and, um, Travis ended up getting poached by uh, Huffington Post where he's still working. And I, I had been spending so much of my freelance time writing about, I mean, I'd always really cared about social justice issues and I'd been, I'd spent so much of my time writing about, um, you know, the media's treatment of women's tennis, writing about domestic violence and football, you know, writing about women in coaching and, um, you know, media sexism and things like that. Like, that was a lot of the freelance work I was getting. And so when I saw this job opening, I, you know, I, I just, for me, it was a perfect fit because I was already doing so much of that in my freelance world. And I think that, you know, we, I, I will say like our, the tabs at the top of the website do change. So there are days you will go there Mm -hmm. and it will have sports. And hopefully during the women's world cup, I mean, we have a lots of stuff planned. So it just kind of depends on the day, you know, as far as finding my stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think like we've, you know, more than proven that there is a space for this. And now you're seeing a lot of, you know, mainstream sites uh, tackle sports kind of through this lens as well.
0: Right. So you you wrote a piece, um, March 30th, 2019. Muffin McGraw's done hiring men is a headline, uh, which is a great headline, I got to say. And uh, <clears throat> with the subhead, women need the opportunity. They deserve the opportunity. Um, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a profile of Muffin, Muffin McGraw, the Notre Dame women's basketball coach. Um, and sort of the news, quote unquote, is she tells you she'll never hire a man assistant again. Um, her quote is literally people are hiring too many men. Um, and, she, you know, she's done doing it. Uh, asked if she ever plans to hire a male coach again. She doesn't hesitate. No, women need the opportunity. They deserve the opportunity. Um, kind of fascinated. Like when you, when you pitched or decided to do a, a Muffin McGraw profile, was it sort of with the angle of, is she gonna, you know, she doesn't, ha- she doesn't uh, have men on her staff was it more a general profile. Like, how did you come to the point where you're sitting with her and she's telling you, I am not going to hire a male assistant ever again?
1: Yeah, so I had actually, so I have a, um, a part of a feminist sports podcast called Burn It All Down. Uh, shout out, and you know, we do every week. We have a different interview on the show. And after Notre Dame won last year, uh, the national championship, I ended up interviewing Muffet for our show, and she kept bring. She brought up multiple times in a you know twelve minute interview. went a long interview that she had, she was so proud of having an all female coaching staff. And so when I was thinking about bigger stories, I wanted to pitch, you know, look, I work for a nonprofit and like you mentioned, it's a political newsroom. I'm the only sports reporter. I don't get to take a big chunk of the travel budget, you know, and I'm fine with that. Like I have to pick my spots for, you know, um, you know, picking to travel. But, you know, during December when I was thinking about projects that I was interested, I just kind of kept thinking about, The conversation around women in coaching, knowing the statistics, knowing how, um, you know, we're not really making up grounds as far as finding more spaces for women in coaching and knowing that Muffet was going to be going into, you know, as defending champions, one of the favorites again to win it. And I just thought it would be really interesting to look at somebody who was taking steps to fix the problem, you know, Um, and who was really proud of her all-female coaching staff. So that's kind of the story I pitched to look at kind of the decline of coaching um, uh, post-Title IX, the decline of women women in in coaching, uh, women's sports, but to look at it through the lens of somebody who is, you know, has an all-female staff and takes a lot of pride in that. So, you know, I, I talked to their PR people and, and was able to, you know, uh, their sports information people and was able to arrange that. My editors were down for it. But I, I did not know. I had assumed that she would hedge when I asked that question, you know, um, if she was ever going to hire a man again. You know, I, I really had assumed that. Um, you know, she would kind of give the, well, if the opportunity, you know, you'll never say never, or, you know, if the opportunity is right. Um, I did not know she was going to tell me that, that absolutely no, and be that definitive until I got there and, you know, was sitting one on one with her for like a 45 minute interview.
0: Why do you think there is a pressure or a need for women's basketball? I mean, I think there's one university of Maine has the only female assistant in in men's division one college Mm -hmm. basketball. Why do any of these teams have male assistant coaches or a head coach? Like, why is that even a thing? There's certainly a million qualified women who have backgrounds in basketball. And this is what Muppet's saying. She's just saying, like, It makes no you, sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, there are a lot of great look, there are a lot yeah. of great men working in women's basketball. I mean, I you know, I cover the Washington Mystics and, you know, uh, head coach Mike Thibault is one of the best people I've met, like in this, you know, industry, in the whole sports industry. Uh, let alone women's basketball, and his son Eric Thibault is on the team and you know is doing a great job. So, you know, I think it's because look, when y- you have to remember, it is not women usually hiring for these jobs, it is athletic directors, male athletic directors, <laughs> because you know, 90% of athletic directors are, are men, right. and so those are the people who are hiring for these co- women's college jobs and, and and they hire people they're comfortable with, which I, I, I know I'm generalizing here, but let's be truth, you know, like stereotypically, they're more comfortable hiring their guy from the gym or their guy they grew up with or, you know, this guy who's already been proven because somebody else is only comfortable hiring a guy. And so that's how this perpetuates. And we know that once Title IX started to be effective, and departments started to invest more money in women's sports, because they legally had to not because they were good people. um, Those opportunities started to look, you know, all of a sudden, men wanted to coach women's sports, because there was more money available. So you know, that's why we are where we are. And that's why I think it's so powerful that Muffet and Tara Vanderveer, who's another one who's never, um, you know, she's never had a male on her staff since she's been at Stanford. And, you know, that so when women do get to these positions of power, when they do feel secure enough at with their job within their um, organization, you know, that's why you will see some of them like, and like Muffet, like take, take the stance. And I think that's why she knew that it was important to say, I mean, the- you know, the her statement ended up kind of going viral. And then she was asked about it at the um final four and gave this answer on gender equality that um President Obama tweeted, I mean, it went completely viral. And I think I don't know this, of course, but uh, it, she, I, I really do believe that she knew that she wouldn't have been impact, you know, hedging if she, when she had answered that question, if she had hedged, that wouldn't have had the same impact. You know, the reason it raised, the reason people were some upset by it or startled by it is because of the definitive nature of it.
0: Do you think, um, do you think the question, um, what will be the impact of Becky Hammond if she becomes the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs is an important question or in a way one of those kind of douchey questions like Could Elena Deladon play Division Two college basketball? Do you know what I mean? Like Division Two men's college basketball. Like is it one of those things where it's like, what difference does it make? Like she's an assistant coach in the NBA and there's you know, why are we making such a big deal of it? Or would it be a huge, huge deal? It would be
1: a huge deal. I mean let's it would be a huge deal. I still, you know, I, I would it would be it would be incredible because it's a ceiling that you know we we haven't seen broken i mean you know what was it you, know, you think you've gotten more progressive and then, you know, who was it? Mike Francesca, who just a couple years ago went on an incredibly sexist rant being like, why would anyone ever listen to a woman coach? And I know that you can think whatever you want about Mike Francesca, Francesca but you can't say that he's not like one of the leading sports voices, right? And it's helped set the tone of sports conversation for years. So look, there's still such a long way to go. It would be a huge deal, but I almost get nauseous thinking about the amount of pressure that's going to be on whoever is first i almost wish it was a case where like multiple teams would hire someone at you know the same time like hire a woman at the same time because i just think like the the amount of scrutiny is it's almost unbearable to think about for me um uh if anyone can handle it it's becky hammond but uh and i do think that players would have their back but let's face it a big part of coaching is failure right so part of having a woman succeed enough to be a head coach is going to be how do we also talk about her failures when she fails as you know as a head coach when she makes the wrong call because that's part of treating them her like an equal right like we scrutinize uh lineup changes of head coaches we scrutinize um You know, when they're calling a timeout late in game, like we do this with all of the the top head coaches and we would need to do that with her, too. We would need to do it in a way that respects her as a coach and is not saying she made that call because she's a woman. Right. right? And that's where it gets like so it gets so tricky. So I'm dying to see us break through this barrier. I cannot wait for it. And I'm terrified of it, if that makes
0: sense. I was, um, I, I live out here in Southern California and I was disappointed that the Lakers did not interview her. And I just thought, yeah. number one, woman owner, and I'm not saying that should be a reason, but I would think maybe a little more sort of, empathy, not a little more sort of willingness to take a, it shouldn't even be a risk, but take a shot. Number two, the number of retread names who kept coming up. And I just think like, she's smart. She was a great player. She's with an amazing head coach. She's been around now. She knows the game. Like, someone needs to interview this woman. I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe I'm just naive. I think I'm no. I,
1: I'm. I mean, I'm personally glad that she's not anywhere near that Lakers.
0: Like, <laughs> oh, see, I disagree. <laughs> I heard someone say that. I 100% disagree, and here's <laughs> why. Number one, I think LeBron would listen to her. Number two, yeah, I think she that's... would have the support of Jeannie Bus, which I think would be important. Uh, and number three, I think like. The, the team is actually set up to be solid. Like, it it would not be taking over a team like Phoenix that's going to win 12 games. It's a team that could win 50 games next year with a marquee star. I don't think it would have been as bad as people say. And I also think she happens to be a really good coach. But ultimately... Yeah,
1: but I don't think that... I don't know... I, I guess I have questions about... I think, like, how... I think she needs to be in a very solid front office
0: you know situation what are you, what are you trying to say about the Lakers
1: <laughs> you saying? I'm saying exactly what you think I'm saying <laughs> yeah. uh, you know I just think that you know that even though there are a lot of great pieces there that with the scrutiny that she's yeah. going to be under that also having to deal with that mess is just not um, it, it is not a great idea. Yeah. I
0: don't know. I mean, but don't I, you yeah. think ultimately the, the test will be Popovich retires in two years does yeah. San Antonio hire her to be his replacement?
1: Yeah, I think that's it. Right, I agree. Yeah.
0: Well, Lindsay, I could talk about this stuff all day. I appreciate you taking the time to do this.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: I want to thank today's guest, Lindsay Gibbs, for joining me on Two Writers, Sling and Yang. You can follow Lindsay on Twitter at Z sports l i n z sports and visit her website lindsaygibbs.com you can also download her podcast burn it all down wherever one downloads podcasts and this podcast is sponsored by 503 sports kings of the throwback sports merchandise you can visit our website at 503-sports.com one can listen to two writers, Sling and yang on apple podcast google play spotify and reviews are always appreciated music is by the dazzling mc white owl thanks again for joining me and remember keep writing